settle up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. This is actually the first time that I'm taking Matt's place as the host of this particular show. Although, of course, many of our listeners have heard us heard me on uh, host Energy. Um, I was going to say Energy News. <laughs> there is another medium, Energy Radio, the Energy Radio, Radio podcast in the past. Um, but as many of our listeners know, I am approaching the end of my pregnancy and will be taking some time off over the next uh, couple of weeks. So I wanted to introduce my temporary replacement. At least I think he's my temporary pl- replacement. Maybe he's eager to, to take over full time. <laughs> and uh, Matt's new co-host moving forward over the next couple of weeks, uh, Bill Davidson, CM's Director of Engineering. Welcome, Bill, to the Energy Roundtable. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite and I'm happy to be here. Good. Awesome. Well, we're, we're uh, looking forward to having you on the show and looking forward to you, you taking my place, especially as it relates to the debate side of things, because uh, I've been on a losing streak here. And so I was really hoping to introduce you today, do one uh, <laughs> one news article, and then have you go against Matt. And I thought I was just I was really looking forward to that extra bit of entertainment. But uh, anyways, it won't be it won't happen before I leave, but that's OK. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but as many of our listeners know, what we basically do is review two energy articles each um, as a way to, of course, educate our listeners. And we hopefully are providing some entertainment along the way. And then our content specialist, Mark Charbonneau, comes back on and uh, basically leads our face off, which uh, is a debate topic on really any in any genre or any topic that is not necessarily energy related. And then he gets to rate who argues the pro or the con side more successfully. So with that, why don't we start? Um, Bill, do you know the general kind of cadence in terms of uh, starting that the articles, like you'll, you'll talk about the um, where, where you got the article from the title and then just kind of hop right in and, and kind of review the article. Do you want to go first or? Sure, I'll go first. And now that okay. you've explained it, I completely get it. No, in, in fact, I did listen to um, a little bit of your history there. So I think maybe the last four or five episodes. So I, I got a general idea. Oh, okay, good. Great. And you, and you did find the debates, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with uh, Mark's uh, judgments there, but anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this will be your last time on the show, just so you know. <laughs> thanks mark all right so uh jumping into it um i think probably most people know of that february 28th uh, ipcc released their second part of their sixth assessment report uh it's a little confusing but the the sixth assessment report and that's the sixth since they started up in 1988 um it's the second part there was one back in August of last year, and then there's there's two more coming uh, this year in April and October. This report took seven years. Uh, the report was signed off by 195 countries, and it's based on uh, around 34,000 studies. Wow. Yeah. So, I, I guess the 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 takeaway from the major takeaway from the first part that from last year was something we've heard before, but basically, climate change is unequivocally caused by human actions. We have unprecedented changes, and some of these are becoming irreversible. That's bad news. This is all of this is a bit of a downer, um, but anyway, we still should talk about it. Um, the next ones in April and October, uh, they will cover ways to cut greenhouse gas emissions. That's the one in April, 
and then the one in October is basically a, a summarized uh, a sum a summary for uh, the UN COP twenty seven climate summit that's going to be in Egypt. Okay. Yep. And as this article um, points out, I apologize. I didn't do what I said I was going to do, which was start off by saying where to get the article from. It's from the Guardian, <laughs> and and the uh, and here, here's the headline. The headline is IPCC IPCC issues bleakest warning yet in quotes on impacts of climate breakdown, which obviously sounds pretty concerning. And uh, I was going to say that what this part of, part of this article points out is that. Um, this actually might be, given how long it takes to generate these reports, this may be the last report to be published while there's still any time to do anything about it. Mm. Okay. So regarding this part of the report that just came out, it starts off with this, uh, uh, this uh, quote. The scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and the health of the planet. Any further delay in concerted global action will miss a brief and rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. And that's from Hans Otto Portner. He's a co-chair of Working Group 2 on the IPCC. They're, the four different sections are, uh, are called working groups. Um, so basically, some damage is irreversible at this point. But the report is clear that there is still an opportunity to, to uh, turn things around. But the real problem that you see over and over again here is that we're simply not on that road to recovery at the moment. Now, as you uh, as you probably know, it was a previous goal to keep the uh, global rise in temperature to um, 1.5 Celsius above pre-industrial, and we're currently at about 1.1. But with our current emission trends, this just isn't going to happen. Keeping mm. it five. So. And that 1.5 uh, Celsius number seems arbitrary, but it was picked in the past because it's roughly where you start to get the truly irreversible effects. And you also get the start of um, this cascading where the, the warming is amplified. And uh, this is from a major increase in wildfires, uh, mass die-offs of trees, the drying of peatlands. And these are all events that release even more carbon into the air. So you get that crazy feedback loop. I just want to I just wanted to read a couple of some key points that came out of the article. Remember this this report is like thirty the report itself is like thirty six hundred pages. So wow, I'm glad yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not reading it. I'm glad they were able to take these points out. I'll read them real quick here. Um, everyone is affected with no inhabited region escaping dire impacts from rising temperatures and increasing increasingly extreme weather. About half of the global population, between three point three billion and three point six billion people, live in areas of, quote, highly vulnerable to climate change. Millions of people face food and water shortages owing to climate change, even at current levels of heating. Mass die-offs of species from trees to corals are already underway. Uh, 1.5 C above pre-industrial levels, which I just talked, talked about, constitutes a critical level beyond which the impacts of the climate crisis accelerate strongly and some become irreversible, as I said before. Coastal areas around the globe and small low-lying islands face inundation at temperatures rising of more, at more than 1.5 C. And also key ecosystems are losing their ability to absorb carbon dioxide. And this is turning them, into, turning them from carbon sinks into carbon sources. Now, some countries had agreed to conserve 30% of the Earth's land, but conserving half may be necessary to restore the ability 
of natural ecosystems to cope with the damage wreaked on them. And I did read a little bit about that, and it's basically, it depends on where you are, but it could be anywhere from 30 to 50. But the point is, is that 30 is not going to be enough. Right. Yeah. Um, the situation for small islands is particularly worrisome. Uh, they were quoting in the article that a guy called Walt, Walton Webson, he's the chair of the Alliance of Small Island States. Uh, he pointed out that that key milestone of 1.5, it doesn't seem realistic at this point. And we, we, uh, we needed to have, to, in order to keep that 1.5, we would have had to have halved, that is cut in half, the CO2 emissions by 2030. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. So, and he's referring to the findings in the report as quote cataclysmic. Um, and then the article kind of ends with uh, talking about other knock-on effects of climate change beyond the flooding and starvation and poverty, and that it are human conflicts that will inevitably rise from them. Now, of course, that one's hard to predict, but it does seem like it's going to be a factor that causes everyone more misery in the long run. Now, there was one bit of good news that I, that I read outside of this um, this uh, particular article. And that is that one change um, from previous reports is that was talking about how long it would take to stop the warming after the CO2 emissions huh? yeah. in the future. Because in the past, we had been saying that was basically uh, decades, 40 to 50 years. And now they're saying it's probably more like one decade. So like 10 years once we stop. Oh, That's not wow. reversing. Yeah, reversing still hundreds or thousands of years type of thing, mm -hmm. right? In that, in that scale. But at least that is a little bit of good news. So that, that is some good news. Well, yeah. that was a great coverage. And I do have a, a follow up question for you. In yep. case our listeners want to know, what does IPCC stand for? International Panel for Climate Change. I did that from memory, so I hope it's correct. Okay, <laughs> good. No, that was uh, that was some great coverage there. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it just shows, you know, this is part of the reason that this energy transition is is really well, transitioning as quickly as it is, right? Because we really have to pay attention and move things forward in a positive direction sooner rather than later. Really good. Um, so I will cover off uh, my first article. It is uh, by the CNBC, and it is titled Why a California City is Trying to Build the State's Last Fossil-Fueled Power Plant. And uh, like typical me, I have things printed, so I will refer to the printed <laughs> material. Uh, so basically, Glendale, so a Los Angeles suburb that's home to Walt Disney, uh, they could be the last city in California to build a fossil fuel power plant. They propose to spend $260 million on five new natural gas-powered uh, generators that will produce about 93 megawatts at the Grayson Power Plant, which is enough to power a mid-sized city. And the decision comes after the state passed legislation requiring 100% clean energy by 2045. So this is kind of why it's such sort of a big news story out there. Uh, but they're arguing that its proposed thermal generation would only run at about 14% capacity, significantly less polluting than the gas engines that are in place now. And they will provide vital backup power for the city. Um, the new generators will provide power in the event that transmission lines are shut down to mitigate wildfire risk as well as supply air conditioning during unbearable heat waves. Um, and of course, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of people that are completely against this from an environmental perspective, just because of the fact that, you know, they're burning more fuel period. Um, and uh, of course the, the city uh, of Glendale is suggesting, well, natural gas is sort of a bridging fuel. And so we shouldn't really be kind of, you know, dismissing this so quickly. And they're suggesting, and this is the part of the article that I really gravitated towards, 
that they're arguing that the utility will eventually be able to run the units on green hydrogen, which, of course, is made from electrolysis, as many of our listeners who are avid listeners at least know, because we've spoken about hydrogen quite a bit. Uh, electrolysis of water powered by solar or wind that is still in its infant stage in this particular case. But uh, it doesn't have to be by solar or wind. Of course, that's green green hydrogen. Um, but I think that, to me, is the essence of the article, right? Like, if we think about most people out there, when we think about clean energy, we always think about solar PV, we think about wind. You know, it's very easy to understand. And then, you know, somebody throws in natural gas fire generation and they automatically just you know think about this dirty fuel right and we we've we've been doing this in ontario as well uh as as it relates to chp facilities but there's this you know added benefit first of all of the resiliency that these types of power plants can provide to the grid texas is a great example of what happened in february 2021 um considering their grid is very renewable and um, and then again, they're not thinking about the, you know, the green fuels that could be provided or fueling these types of power generation assets. My mother actually is to blame. So she's listening because she does sometimes listen to the show. <laughs> she sent me a uh, an article from I think it was. Um, Oh, what from French magazine? Chatelaine is what she what she reads. She's from she's from Quebec City originally. So anyway, she sent me this article a couple of weeks ago, and I said I have to talk about this on Energy Roundtable. And it was basically talking about the differences between um, um, what are they called now? Induction stoves? Induction? Yeah, induction stoves and natural gas stoves, and and the fact that people should all be scrapping natural gas stoves because you know they're headed in the wrong direction from a climate perspective. And, you know, because of the emissions that are associated with it. And they were talking, yes, a little bit about indoor emissions, but they were really start starting to hone in on, you know, the, the fuel use and how dirty natural gas is. And yet there's renewable natural gas in the pipeline today. There's a lot more coming. And yet people, again, are, are you know, depending on what people are reading in the media, you know, really limit themselves to believing and taking a side as to what they believe is clean energy. So, anyways, I thought uh, it was a it was a you know good article uh, in terms of shedding some light on why California is doing this. And uh, and I was glad that they were talking at least about hydrogen and showing the the positive effects of a green fuel. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a really interesting article too. I'm glad you picked that one. Oh, you read it ahead of time. My, I don't I don't even read Matt's articles oh, ahead really? of time. Oh, really? <laughs> I, That's good. I, That's good. So there was the the one quote from the, there's a guy Byron Chan that they quoted. He was an attorney for the environmental law firm. Yep. And he had this he he said he had this one quote. He said there are clean energy options that are um, decreasing in price and becoming more and more readily available. Which is a really good point, right? Like that's a point for the other side in, in, in this case. And um, I thought both sides had some good points here. But what's interesting about that is that he's right in that statement. But that Mark Young, who was the guy who's quoted from Glendale, Water and Power, um, he's just saying that he needs a reliable backup. So he's basically saying, you know, presumably if one of these clean energy options that was, was mentioned um, – or, or none of them is actually mentioned specifically, but if one of these meets the criterion that he's talking about, which is reliability, it sounds like he would jump at it, but nothing was presented. 
Yeah. Right. So there's yeah. no no solution was presented. That doesn't mean there isn't one, but it's but the article doesn't talk it. And I don't know that that law firm ever ever actually came up with it. But anyway, yeah, it was a really really cool article. Well, I have to say I'm very impressed because uh, I don't think Matt reads my articles and I don't read his. <laughs> I'm not trying to break but, the rules. Uh, so okay. so that's good. Thank you for coming extremely prepared, Bill. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, and you have another article, I believe, right? I do. So. Um, start out the right way. This is from Wired, and uh, the headline is, Sea Level Rise Will Be Catastrophic and Unequal. And you can see where this one is going. I, I chose this one because it actually piggybacks onto the other IPCC one. In fact, mm. some of the data that was used for this was taken from the last one from um, from part one in uh, August. Now, this is a report from uh, a bunch of U.S. government agencies that includes NASA and NOAA, NOAA and uh, USGS. Um, and it's regarding the sea level rise and the effect in the U.S. Now, this is it's different than what I've seen before, and that's why I wanted to talk about it real quick because it's it's just something I hadn't seen before. Um, and and basically, like I said, they took the findings from the the previous release about sea level worldwide. Uh, the sea level is expected to rise by one foot by 2050, uh, and that's alarming because that's as much as the sea level rose for the entire uh, previous century. So wow, yeah, right. So, and then they're thinking if they go forward by 2100, they're thinking it could be two feet. And that's if we take measures. If we don't do anything, oh. it could be as high as seven feet. That this, I mean, I can't even, I don't, it doesn't even make sense to me in my mind. Wow. So, and, but what the article was really about is that it's not just as simple as water level uh, rising. There are a couple of matters that actually, actually make this worse. And these are um, subsidence and the characteristics of the water itself. Now, subsidence is, that's basically where the ground collapses in on itself. So effectively, you have uh, the ground is, is sinking. So the sea level rise itself is not the same everywhere. And this is a mm. part I wasn't really thinking of. This is, this, is, this is new to me. And they gave the example of on the Gulf Coast, um, Gulf Coast, say, Texas. Um, this, this happens from oil and water extraction, mostly. Uh, and they said by 2050, Texas would be more like 10 feet, or sorry, two wow. feet, not 10. I, I, I had 10 in my mind because they talked about Baytown specifically, where they said, okay. like, so it's, so it's even, even different within Texas. But, but Texas as a whole on the coast um, would be uh, the actual uh, elevation difference, not elevation, uh, sea level difference would be two feet because uh, it's the one foot by 2050, like the rest of the world, and then an extra foot because of this subsidence. And then they gave in contrast, again, something I didn't know, they gave in contrast uh, Anchorage, Alaska. It's actually rising. And the reason uh -huh. is because, again, is because of climate change, because they have a decrease in, in uh, uh, glac uh, glacier pressure. It's oh. called glacial isostatic adjustment. Is, and I, I didn't know this term before. Um, and basically, they're, they're saying by 2050, that it would, it's estimated that overall with the two factors conflicting that would actually be eight inches higher in anchorage so they would actually go the other way which is i thought was really interesting so the other part to this was the water characteristics that i mentioned and they just wanted to note that you know this just isn't about glaciers and ice melting uh water itself also expands obviously the density changes as the temperature rises and and this is the part I did, this part i didn't know this is well, this is expected to ac account for about half of the rise it's just that extent, mm -hmm. right? It's not mm -hmm. just the milk. Um, and what, what's going to happen because of that? Well, they're, they're thinking uh, moderately destructive flooding will happen 10 times more frequently because of this by 2050. Wow. Highly destructive flooding 
will happen five times as much. Not sure what those thresholds really mean, but moderately and highly, you know. Um, so, uh, and then they also just mentioned about how hurricanes would be more destructive if you have more water, <laughs> higher sea level, which totally makes sense because they're bringing right. in more water. To the, to the and, and sorry, Bill, this yeah. is this is all if we still take measures to reduce climate change, correct? Yes. <laughs> wow. Why are yeah. you bringing so much negativity to the show? I, I apologize. I, in in the future, I, I I'll be much more cheerier, but better, <laughs> much more cheerier topics. And and so and so basically, the next part is what what's the fix to this? Well, of course, the first thing is that we have to uh, limit greenhouse emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, they talked about seawalls. Uh, they can help some, but they won't be enough. Because uh, these are massive projects, cost a lot of money, and there's not really consensus on whether or not they're all that helpful. Yeah. And this, this leads into another major issue that comes into climate change discussion, any climate change discussion, and that is that this will disproportionately affect the poor. If you deflect that water uh, from your community using this extremely expensive seawall, where does that water end up? Well, probably at the community that couldn't build one, right? So that's a problem. Now, there are these hybrid solutions uh, that they talk about that some communities are looking at, and these are a combination of seawalls, but also more natural solutions. You probably heard this one, wetlands and mangrove uh, forests, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because these absorb uh, seawater, so we're looking at that. Um, I guess one sort of positive that, that they were talking about is this new uh, new satellites that are coming online right about now that can more accurately measure um, the height at the coastline, so we can keep an eye on, on that. Um, and the article itself, um, if you want to give it a read sometime, is kind of neat because they uh, they give an interesting map that was part of the report that shows the predicted water level difference at various parts. It's it's mostly in the U.S., uh, positive or negative, but by color codes, you can immediately see uh, if it's going to be a positive or a negative in the long run. Uh, so there you go. I thought that was pretty interesting. Check it out. Yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, not not the greatest news, I will admit. <laughs> uh, but but having said that, I mean, you know, if you if we if we look at I can't remember what the, the difference was between kind of the, the the, you know, the water level, if you actually, you know, are, are doing something about climate change yeah. versus not but like that was a substantial yeah. difference, right? So yeah. uh, it just yep. showcases that yeah, you we have to we have to do something, um, especially it, it as it relates to what's that? I was gonna say it was two versus seven. Wow, yeah, two versus right. seven. What an unbelievable like, difference in number, yeah, right? Like, can you imagine the damage from seven feet? Anyway. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's across the planet. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. And when you think about all the natural disasters that we see and we have seen and people have reported even over the last two years, which I think has driven a lot of why the change has happened so fast now in terms of this energy transition, which is fantastic. But, um, yeah, like the fires, the hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, all of these natural disasters, it's all, you know, stemming out of this. So, um, anyways, good, good article. Uh, okay, so this is my last one. It is from today's Toronto Star, uh, the paper that I get delivered to my house every morning because <laughs> I am old fashioned and do read the paper still in paper form. I should switch to electronic, but it's one of those things. Anyways, uh, the, um, the article title is TD to cut emissions intensity from loans. And so the Toronto Dominion Bank, or TD, set targets for reducing emissions intensity of lending to certain energy industries, charting a clear path for a plan to reach net zero emissions by 2050, while still boosting its loan book in those sectors. So this is um, for, for lending, for example, to oil, gas, and coal producers. TD is targeting a 29% reduction in a metric called financed emissions lending intensity from 2019 levels uh, 2019 levels by 2030, 
and for its lending to power generators, uh, TD is planning for a 58% decline in physical emissions intensity from 2019 levels by 2030. So TD and a number, number of other banks actually have set these targets that are in line with the International Energy Agency's net zero emissions by 2050, which I think is great. Um, many of these financial institutions are starting to pledge low carbon footprints they're trying to engage and supporting the sort of general lead in transitioning to a low carbon world, which is fantastic. However, the one piece that I will suggest we have to sort of be a little bit wary of is, um, you know, how these baselines are being determined by a lot of these different financial institutions, because emissions data is not necessarily very complete, you know, or, or in some cases, very inconsistent in some areas of their business. So they're having the financial institutions are struggling a little bit with this. And so I think it's bold and, and great of them to have set, you know, um, these these aggressive targets. It will obviously limit the number of projects that they're going to be funding or lending towards that are, um, you know, contributing to GHG emissions, which is fantastic. Um, but just understanding what that baseline looks like and setting that so that they can progress towards the 2050 carbon neutral goal is really what the, uh, the big challenge is about with most of those financial institutions today. That was great. I, 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 uh, I thought that was an interesting article. I had to read it twice because um, I was having a hard time really figuring out what they were saying. Uh, because in, I'd love to see some more detail on, because what they didn't talk about, they, 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 they kind of went over what the, that metric was yep. and uh, components that made it up, which was, which was good. But I'd have no idea what their internal processes look like to make this happen. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And, and well, and that's that's I think part of the challenge that not just TD but a lot of these financial institutions are having, right? Because they're trying to establish this baseline. They're trying. They've got this path forward, but what does that look like internally from an accounting perspective? And how do they evaluate projects? And yeah. I think there's still a lot that needs to come out and be fleshed out there that they haven't necessarily talked about, or maybe they have, and I'm just not aware of it. Right. Um, but the, the overall concept I think is is good. Yeah. So yeah, very good. Good. Well, uh, we will invite Mark back on uh, for our face-off topic today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there. How you doing, Mark? How's everybody doing? I'm well, thanks. You guys? Good, good. Hi. Bill, how have, are you enjoying it so far? Been, have you been enjoying this, Mark, uh, with a, a different face on the screen? And yeah, somebody? it's nice. It's nice, it's nice yeah. to mix it up a bit, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Bill's doing yeah, well. Perfect. Yeah. Th thanks, Mark. Yeah. So so far, I'm loving it. I mean, th these are subjects I'm interested in and uh, working with you two is, is always fun. So <laughs> that's great. the best part, I imagine. Right. <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, face off, I pit you both against each other. Friendly, of course. Pros and cons of um, mainstream media is our topic for today. Um, clearly, you know, it's a, a polarizing subject, especially these days with uh, you know, the way everything is, it seems like everything's out of control these days. It's funny, even searching for articles on energy news, I can find a hundred negative ones before I can find a positive one or something yeah. that's, you know, so you got to dig. So I thought this was would be an interesting topic to sort of touch on. So, um, so heads or tails, Bill, you're the newcomer. I'll let you choose heads or tails. Everyone knows it's always heads. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you take that. So you're like me, Bill. See, <laughs> we're much more alike so, than I even thought. <laughs> so you're going to take heads? Yes, I'm taking heads. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got here. 
It's actually heads. <laughs> oh. So, Bill, would you like the pros or cons? Oh, it's, it's a tough one. I got I got so much to say on this topic. I'm going to keep it short, but um, I'm 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 going to take I'll take pro. Okay, so you're pro mainstream media, and then would you like to go first or would you like to go second? Um, I'll go first. I know it's usually okay. best second, but this is friendly, so we're, it's fine. I'm, Thank I'm you, gonna, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. All right. Just jump into it. Okay. Yeah, fire away. All right. So I guess I would start with, we're talking about mainstream media here. Um, journalism, this is really important. It's absolutely essential for a free society to operate. We have to know what our leaders are up to. Um, as everybody probably knows here, media literacy is very low across the world, not just here. Um, people are not armed with the skills that they need to differentiate fact from fiction. It's just true. Um, the mainstream media is needed because these are outfits that have both journalistic standards and they actually have a reputation that they need to uh, maintain. You can, if you take a site like, and, I, and it's kind of mean to pick one, but I'm going to Infowars, for instance. This is not a site that cares about either of those things. They don't care about journalistic standards. They don't care about reputation, right? But we need the companies that do. What do you right mean? Now, what do you mean? That's like, I got integrity. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I, that's, <laughs> yes, that's, uh, sorry, I sorry to take you off topic there. I, I won't say his name, but that that is the, the host. Yeah. Very good, very good. Um, right now, misinformation and uh, and even worse, conspiracy theories themselves are they're a real problem right now in our society. Um, Mainstream media, along with media literacy, basic critical thinking skills, these are the remedy to this problem. Um, we have to have something reliable and trustworthy to turn to when we have a source that's interesting, but its credibility is uncertain. Uh, if you see something that pops up over and over again uh, in, in alternative or independent media, but it's not in the mainstream media, well, why is that? Why is that happening? Is it, is it, are we talking about something that's definitely true? but the mainstream doesn't want you to know about it? When does this happen? Basically never. That's just not usually how it works out. The mainstream media isn't reporting it most likely because they can't verify it. So you've got to ask yourself, is, is the trust that mainstream uh, media enjoys right now, is it justified? And I would say the answer is yes. They earned it by doing this great job for decades. And how do they do this? They do this by keeping each other in check, exactly like scientists do. They have, they have to keep this standard high. And most importantly, in my mind, and this is the same with the parallel of science, they completely eat each other alive when they mess up, which is exactly what we need to, them to do. So in my mind, it's extremely important that we insist on integrity in journalism. It's a fundamental cornerstone of democracy in our way of life. We need the, the systems, the checks, the balances, and we need that credi credibility that's bought, uh, brought by mainstream media to achieve this. So, yes, I'm pro mainstream media. Go mainstream media. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was well put. Hey, Lisa, how are you feeling about that? Uh, well, I'm always nervous to go up against Bill. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm not nervous to go against Matt, but Bill is a great debater. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, I was hoping that Matt was going to be taking my seat for this piece today, but uh, I will do my best. So uh, to start off with, I think if we look back in history, you know, news, me news media, major news, mainstream media, however you want to phrase it, you know, they did a really good job of making sure that news was accurate. But I think that, you know, over the years, 
people are less concerned or they are less concerned about the facts and they're a lot more concerned about their ratings these days. So what does that do? It can manipulate the minds of people. COVID is a really good example, right? Like if we think about a mainstream media channel, like something like Facebook, and depending on what everybody's stance is on the vaccination piece, we won't get into that in today's show. (laughs) But, you know, you had so much news and information that was falsified there that wasn't accurate. And I think that that is really the biggest issue and challenge with mainstream media today. It, you know, I agree with everything that Bill said in terms of, you know, reaching people quickly and and the fact that it's important and we need to do that. But if the facts are not facts, then you and I as listeners who are absorbing this content at such a fast rate, who are on our phones every single day, are going to likely turn to that and think automatically that it is a fact when it might actually not be. So we rely on it for these news sources, and we're not necessarily questioning where the facts are coming from. So that's that's definitely a big issue. Uh, I think a lot of these corporations are also just often uh, – you know, kind of posting or or trying to um, focus on things that people really want to hear about, and this could actually be, you know, there's a there's a piece where people are not actually hearing about other important facts or news from other areas of the world that I think would otherwise be, you know, should be covered. You know, look at look at my paper every morning when it arrives. At some point during COVID, it was like it was all about COVID, right? Or it's and and don't get me wrong, I, I like the coverage, and I think the co- coverage between the Ukraine, you know, and Russia is very important. But look, our papers today are filled with that, right? Um, you know, if, if if it's something else that's going on, it's filled with that. Yet we could be missing out on some really other like important news that we're just not capturing on on that kind of daily basis. The other big con is, I think, uh, addiction. Look, like we all carry phones in our pockets, and whether it's Facebook or you know, CNN or CTV or whatever news medium we like to choose, we're addicted to it. And that can be, you know, obviously detrimental to our mental health and and focusing on something that's very negative that's going on in the world consistently obviously can affect us on the daily. So that's uh, a big a big issue. <clears throat> it's also very hard for children to tune out, you know, some of the news that's being focused on and some of the uh, that's that's in some ways inappropriate, right? Like some of the images, you know, you 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 sit down and okay, six o'clock news is probably a good example because my daughter's still awake, <laughs> you know, who's nineteen months and she's looking at the news channel and there's you know kind of gory content in some cases that's starting to come up on the TV these days. And so again, like you know, you can't really filter that. It's a little bit harder. Yes, you can turn your TV TV off, but it, that can be a bit of a, a problem. And I think the other big issue, and this will be my last one, is that it can negatively affect our youth as it relates to in this general feeling of fitting in. You look at these, you know, broadcasters and uh, different people that are out there, depending on the media that they're focusing on. <clears throat> there's body image issues. There's, you know, a feeling of generally, you know, the the confidence piece in terms of uh, not being able to fit in. You got lots of Botox and facial surgeries and everything else that, you know, is going on there that's making people look really good. And they they compare themselves and say, "Hey, I don't look like that news reporter, or I don't look like this person that they're focusing on that might be a celebrity on again mainstream media," and that can affect our our youth. So I will uh, end my point with that, Mark. 
Wow, I love the different <clears throat> the different takes that you guys took it. It was completely different than what I thought you guys were going to say, um, and I, which is great. I don't know which if you noticed, but like halfway through, I was running out of breath because I'm like, oh, <laughs> one of those pregnancy symptoms at the end. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh my goodness, I, I have to breathe. <laughs> Yeah, for me, for me, the, the way I look at it too is, you could watch, um, you know, two topics being covered from two separate media outlets, and they're completely different. Not completely different in the sense that, like, you know, mm -hmm. the information is still there, but their um, take on it is completely different. So yeah. I just wish that there was one channel you could go to that was completely neutral and just reported it as, you know, it, it it's actually happening, rather than trying to, you know, sway their their viewers, right, or their mm -hmm. left or right or however you want to phrase it, right? So. Right. Um, um, oh, oh man, this is a, this is tough because yeah, I've, <laughs> you know, um, I've, I I I give it to the newcomer. I think um, you know. Oh, sorry, man. Lisa. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to leave you on a bad note because there was a lot of stuff you said I agree with as well. But Bill, I think he um, he roped me in, so I do agree. We need we need the news outlets, and like I said, I just wish there was more neutral reporting rather than to put, you know their advertisers footing the bill for this report, right? Yeah, that's uh, all. So I yeah. will say, Bill, just yeah. keep up the good work because Thanks. you need to beat out Matt the next time. I will be listening in to our energy roundtable. I, I can't handle <laughs> since I, I, can't since I am on a losing streak officially. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sorry because, like I said, I do. There was a lot that you said that I agree with too, and you and you took it in a whole different direction. But so I like that. That was really good. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Well, this was fun, Bill. I really hope you enjoyed. Um, our listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed as well. Bill will be taking over my spot uh, over the next couple of months. So uh, welcome, Bill, to the show once again and uh, and keep beating Matt out. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Thanks for inviting me. I had, a, I had a really good time. Good. I'm very happy to hear that. So uh, thank you very much again to our listeners. This was Energy Roundtable. Thank you to Bill uh, for taking over my spot over the next couple of months. And a big thank you to Mark, as always, uh, for the face-off topic and making us sound good. And uh, yeah, we'll be back here next week, but this time with uh, between Bill and Matt.